Roxo Media House. Fortitude for the All right, welcome back to Fortitude, everybody. We got a doozy for you today. I'm JW. That's Brenton. Thank you, Cat. Welcome to the Cap Tech Studio. We are Fortitude FW 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 dot com. I really butchered that. Fortitude FW dot com. We have to go to the editing floor for that mistake. Uh, thanks for joining us, folks. Brenton, we got us a badass in the house, Mr. Yeah. Danny Colson. <laughs> Welcome, Danny, to the show. Thank yeah. you. That's awesome. Danny is the former deputy assistant director of the FBI. Uh, currently, he owns the security consulting company called Colson Associates, but that's just putting his, his career mildly, I would yeah. say. Uh, this man is 80 years old, he just told us, which is remarkable. You look fantastic, by the way. Thank you. Whatever you're doing, keep doing look, it. I didn't yeah. look I didn't look fantastic when I was 30, so I know I don't look fantastic. So. Well, I'm impressed. So appreciate you being here. Thank we you. really appreciate thank it. You. Yeah, thank Our you. Our friends at Captex Bank make all this possible, so they're they're going to be very happy that you stopped by the show. So my pleasure. Um, getting right to it, your dad was in the military early on. You didn't want to follow that path. You wanted to be a musician. You just told us you wanted to play the trumpet. I did, and that didn't pan out. No, I guess for a good, in a good way. We ended up where you are. Well, it didn't pan out. Because I wasn't very good, I was terrible and had no talent. And right. uh, so, you know, when I, fate, you know, God steps in and sends you, sends you where He wants you. And yeah, that's it works. Fate, yeah. fate led you to TCU, mm-hmm. uh, the local local school here in town, and then to SMU, where you got your law degree. I did. You knew you wanted to be in the law at some level. Then, it, then it got serious. Then you were, were you recruited by the FBI I was. or you just joined? No, I was. I was uh, between semesters, my senior year in law school at SMU, and. I went to an antique gun store called Jackson Arms, which is still there, I think. And uh, there's an FBI agent in there. And he said, what are you going to do with yourself? I said, I'm going to go to the Navy. He said, no, you're not. And so they started recruiting me. I never thought they'd take me. Good Lord, I had I had uncles who were in prison. and I, I was not a great candidate. So anyway, they took me and I went to the academy and graduated. And Did they hang out at gun stores looking for candidates? Like, how does that no, happen? No, that's interesting. That's a good question. Nobody's ever asked me that. Um, it was a stolen antique gun case oh, that yeah. he was working. It was stolen out in West Texas. I, I remember that. But anyway, stolen out of the whole collection, and he uh, was getting um, value so he could decide how to prosecute this guy. So they. It was just know. a happenstance, huh? Yeah. yeah. I was actually, I was sick as a dog. I'd been up for like five days studying for my final. So I didn't study during the year. I waited till the end, as we all do. <laughs> and. Uh, we had a nice conversation. His name was Charlie Brown. I'll never forget that. Wow. And the, the conversation started, and then there it goes. Then you guys kind of kept in touch. and Well, they kept, you know, bringing me in for interviews and taking tests. And the uh, process to become an agent is pretty arduous. It's yeah. just difficult. He and ever tell you what he liked about you? Like no. what stuck out? That, that, in <laughs> Maybe that felt store? sorry for him. I, mean, I, I guess I was wandering around looking lost or something. But, <laughs> but it, was no. your, it was your knowledge in law that obviously was enticing to the FBI, yes? I think so, because they recruited six guys out of my class. Okay. And uh, um, we all were <clears throat> all lawyers, all SMU grads, and a couple, I think, UT guys. And we went to the academy and were fortunate enough to not get killed there and, and uh, survived the course and went on. Uh, your first assignment uh, was sent to New Haven, Connecticut. Yes. You became an, you went undercover almost immediately, correct? I did, yes. Can I you was, speak uh, to that for a second? Yeah, I can. I was pretty young. I was pretty young, but I would look like I was like 12. <laughs> and they uh, put me undercover with the patriarchal crime family. 
and I worked undercover for about nine months, I guess. Resulting in some... Put a lot of people in jail. Okay, good. And they tried to protect me. It's interesting. Um, when they did the big raids, and I, I you know, they had everybody locked up, and they had them in a command post type, and they're all sitting there grumbling, and I walked in, they said, oh, my God, they got Danny, too? And he said, no, Danny got you. <laughs> so I was the guy that put them all away. Actually, they were likable guys, but... You know, is it, you know, we've, we've got some friends who are cops and, um, we just talked about one or Tegan yeah. Yeah. and the, there does seem to appear this game that exists. I mean, it's a very high stakes game, no doubt, but does it, was it the same way there that, that there was this cat and mouse? It was a game, you know, I think so. um, first of all, it's, it's a little bit lonely because mm-hmm. when I did it, um, if you got compromised, they dis- disemboweled you. I mean, they didn't even claim you were an agent. Yeah. So it was a little bit uh, dicey that way. Um, but I got in good with them. I used to drive them around the state of Connecticut, and we did our thing, and we were friends. And and uh, I remember one night we were in a bowling alley, and uh, there were probably 20 agents in there bowling, drinking beer, which they weren't supposed to do, but, you know, that was a different time. Yeah. And uh, the guy was with us, you know, I'm glad we met up here. I can smell cops. I said, well, you're not doing too good right now. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that was kind of it was, it was kind of fun. It was kind of funny. From there, you move on to New York City. Oh yeah. Uh, th- then it gets. I mean, then you're obviously you're on, you're on your trajectory, and it gets it kicks up a notch. But you work on police assassinations, fugitives, bank robbery investigations. Uh, how long were you doing these things for? I was there in New York about seven years, seven and a half years. I'd done some other stuff before that, but there were a couple of cops murdered in New York City. Pia Gentini and Jones were killed in the Colonial House project, uh, housing project, assassinated by two individuals, and. Uh, I, I was a fugitive guy. I hunted people. And so they put together a team under the direction of the president of the United States, had, had it done. And uh, they picked me because I was a, I chased people. Yeah. How are you chasing this these individuals? Oh, my God. Um, first of all, they were chasing us, too, because they were trying to kill us while we were trying to catch them. So that was that was really dicey. And um, just talk to people. people. I get asked that a lot. How do you catch people? Somebody tells you where they are. Yeah, mm-hmm. you talk to enough people, you throw enough things out there, you jam somebody up on a crime they've committed, and um, actually the last guy we caught was a man named Twyman Myers. He was the most wanted man in America, probably in the world, and his wife gave him to me. She so what was his crime? Murder, kidnapping, bank robbery, all the, all the good stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, he killed how, several cops. How many times do you have to do it by jamming them up? Like, what would you say out of a hundred, a hundred, you know, busts? jamming them up and getting the answer of where they are or what they're doing or how I can get them that way versus killing them with kindness and people just opening their mouth like the wife doing that. I've never been asked that question. It's a good question. Um, I would say the majority is jamming them up. Yeah. By force, just jamming them up. Yeah. Because the Bureau is not strong or we don't, we don't beat confessions out of people, Mm -hmm. whatever that kind of stuff. But, um, she didn't want to go to jail for 40 years and I had her on a lot of charges and, she basically told me where she, where he was, and so we went up and had a big shootout. And Boy, he didn't he didn't survive. I did. Uh, yeah, my guys all won. And he's a tough guy. I will tell you, the toughest human being I've ever encountered. Wow. He fought me to his last breath, and um, it was not easy. I was some pretty I was pretty strong dude and pretty in shape. And when it got down to it, he was trying to get a hand grenade out of his pocket. Holy cow. And um, I had him down on the ground, and uh, I had my hand on his throat. I'm holding him down, and he finally bled out. But um, he he fought. He did not – he didn't 
roll over and suck his thumb and act like a sissy. He fought me. Any idea that that was going to give that kind of fight to him from when you were chasing him? Like oh, yeah. You, you could yeah. have identified it from Yeah, first of all, he was before. a very husky guy. He was a very strong guy. And mm-hmm. Cops had tried to arrest him several times. He got away every time. Okay. And uh, at that time, they all carried uh, an ancient weapon called a Browning High Power, <laughs> which was given out. That was I'm sorry. It was released in 1935. Wow. And um, he got he just shoot his way out of it. He almost got us. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was good. Give him credit. Um, I wouldn't give him credit when we were arresting him on the street, but uh, he's yeah. a tough guy. Yes, sir. So you uh, you were part of the FBI sniper team, and you yes. commanded one of the most active SWAT teams in the FBI. Yes. Is that after your New York? Is that it was during, there during your New York? It was during the New York deal. Yes. Um, you are an uh, you were a trained sniper yourself. Yes. How, how what does that feel like? What is that? How can you explain that to us who don't know what that's like? Well, it's like having a hobby and getting paid for it. Yeah. You know, they give you the best rifles in the world and they give you the best ammunition and they expect you to shoot it. And, but they don't expect you to miss. Right. So uh, that was fun. I enjoyed that. I was also a firearms instructor. That was fun too. What type of shot would you say you were uh, good at making? I mean, is it a thousand yards in your, uh, you know, in law enforcement, that is not in the cards. Okay. We don't take, we take a couple hundred yard shots at the most. I'll, I'll ask you a question. What do you think the longest sniper shot ever taken in the state of Texas is? That's a great question. Well, that's funny because I was going to ask you, there's no place like down in Stephenville where these guys train on these mile long. I mean, you're in New York City. Where are you going to get that far of a range, uh, right? uh, West Point. Okay. We trained at West Point. Okay. Okay. The longest shot? Um, In the state of Texas. 300 yards. I have no idea. Probably four or 500, but I'm sure it's a thousand or more. You guys are way off. It's like 90 yards. Nine, oh, 90. That's the longest. Most of them are like 30. Really? Because we're in an urban environment here. Right. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. So the shots, but the, the difference is pressure. A lot of times there's a hostage there. And so it's one thing to take a shot. If you miss, you miss. But if you got a hostage mm-hmm. between you and the and the bad guy or, you know, being held and uncontrolled, and that's that's a lot more... Uh, it's a little more pressure. Does your brain start going towards like looking at a target and thinking in those terms where that's the distance between one head and another kind of right there? No, you just you just have scenarios where you yeah. have dummies and you have targets and things. Mm-hmm. And there's a mantra you go through in your mind before you take a shot. And um, um, no, it's, you know what? It's not as dramatic as you guys think it is. Well, we guys watch it on yeah. the movies. <laughs> we're watching it yes. on dramas. That's exactly what very, I was going to say. We're not very dramatic. You know, it's what we do. We we just go do that, and you know. And uh, I never had to take a sight like that. My guys did. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most amazing sniper shot in the history of the bureau was taken by one of HRT operators, and um, it's it's absolutely amazing what they do. But they also they practice every day. Yeah, we shot a submachine and a pistol and a rifle every day, and sometimes all three. So it's just that's our job, and that's what we do. And we don't think much of it. We just go do it, and, you know, we go do a job and go do another one. Yes, sir. So at this time, are you married, or is this all work? You're just No, all, no, I, no had, I had a little boy. Uh, mm. uh, my son was born on when I was on the SWAT team, and um, that marriage did not last. There's a lot of marriages don't. And um, so, but anyway, I ended up as a single father. Um, I was a single father when I commanded the hostage rescue team. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is, which happened? In, in, I was getting to that next point. In 1982, you were you were charged with creating the hostage rescue yes, team, the HRT for the FBI. Please please tell us about that. Oh my gosh, um, that was not easy. Um, there was a couple of scenarios between uh, the military and, and law enforcement, and 
it was viewed by the White House, and after that viewing, they decided two things. They didn't, they didn't want military doing it, and military said they didn't want to do it. So the director was um, told, you better get a team because you, you got the mission. So they had a big search thing, and uh, they picked me for some reason, and we we lost. Mm-hmm. What the hostage rescue team, if, if you could generalize or dumbify it for us who don't know, Generally, when there's a hostage situation, what what are the what are the steps to get to the solution? Is there is there a strategy, or is, is oh, every course. is everyone different? No. First of all, let me take this little background. There are only three counterterrorist teams in the United States: the Delta Force, which you've heard of, yes, and SEAL Team Six and HRT. Yep. They all have to be certified. Joint Special Operations Command certifies them, and they all have the same capabilities, the same mission. They all do the same thing. They're just in different entities. A lot of times, you'll see. A, uh, a rescue someplace in the world. They say it's military. A lot of times it's, it's our team. We got movies about Delta Force. We got movies about right. SEAL Team 6. I don't know. Do we have HRT movies? No. Yeah. No. Our, our our publicity people aren't as good as, <laughs> yeah. as the Navy's, I guess. Sure. Um, no, there's not. Um, it's, and I think that's fine. Yeah. Um, so, but, Matt, that, can you explain what happened in Mountain Home, Arkansas? Not that I have any crazy Arkansas no, friends man. or anything, but maybe you... Tell us about that deal. Yeah, that was a great op. Um, I was called to FBI headquarters from our, from our office in Quantico, and I went up there, and the deputy director is briefing me. He said, we've got a hostage situation. We have we have a team of people. They're religious, religious, religious excuse me, I caught that from you, religious <laughs> fanatics, and um, they have a compound in Mountain Home, and uh, they're holding hostages. They're getting ready to kill the United States attorney and several politicians and mm-hmm. uh, they've got claymore mines rockets night vision gear they have an armored car and you gotta go get them out all this information coming some informer somebody in there yeah okay, a lot of it came from atf atf did okay. a really good job in mm-hmm. case. one of my good friends is a man named bill buford and he uh he developed all that but they couldn't do it and uh as an interesting aside here i was doing bill clinton's security in south america and see after i retired okay he left and he asked me one day, and he was the governor of Arkansas. Yeah. And he uh, he was playing golf, and he called me over to the tee box. He said, Danny, you want to know why I wanted you boys to do that op? I said, no. He said, I just want to see you guys work. Yeah. And um, so we did it. We pulled it off, and nobody got hurt. And it was it was not easy. It was very difficult. But um, I think I think sometimes uh, God intervenes in those. Mm. We're on the right side of that. Yes, sir. Yeah. And uh, I think that's really important. In my business, That's that's very important. And uh, faith. Um, so anyway, I kind of digressed. I apologize. That's okay. How much time do you have from getting that initial call, and then obviously you're coming from probably another location mm-hmm. to getting on the ground? You know, the movies rush it and and do that, but it, you don't have time to go through. I wouldn't think all of the paperwork and the backstory. I mean, well, um, but you have a team. This is what we do. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, I don't have to do any research. I just tell people to do it. Okay. Um, I'll tell you. You know the thing that happened in Colleyville. At the a Jewish synagogue. Yes, that was the HRT did that. Oh wow! I was just with them last week, and from the time they got the call to go, two hours later they're in the air, and they got here in time to pull it off. So that's what they practice deployment. They practice. They have intel people. They have a, a, a great wealth of information. You got the whole FBI to get your information. For mm-hmm. Yeah, sakes, if you can't, yeah. that's not enough. You're you move fast way. if they need yeah. to. Yeah, yeah. and well, and that's what they do. They practice it all the time. So. 
Well, the HRT, you you specifically, excuse me, you and the HRT are credited with with over like around 300 hostages rescued, yes. mm-hmm. uh, which is incredible. One of those that was not a successful rescue, or it's not a guy you're trying to rescue, one of the bad guys, Robert J. Matthews from the Order, oh my gosh, a neo-Nazi that. terrorist group. Yeah, I talked to Robert. Um, that was uh, Woodby Island. We were sent out there to get him. And uh, Robert was a member of the Order, which is, I think you probably researched that. You know what that is? It's, a, it's basically a Christian identity-based uh, philosophy. And um, we trapped him. The HRT did a great job. We trapped him in there. We started negotiations. I actually talked to him a couple of times. And I, I, I was up close enough, I almost could grab him. What was their goal, Daniel, real quick, the, the orders? What were they trying to accomplish? Um, well, they were horrible racist. Um, they want to kill Jews, kill minorities, and um, form a new um, movement here in the United States. Okay. They, they were pretty tough. Anyway, um, we were there for quite a while, and after a while, the headquarters got the concern that we were there too long because there's other things you have to go do. And so we, we were pulled off, and we uh, we left, and the uh, SWAT team got it, and uh, they were good. Uh, anyway, the house ended up burning down. He ended up dying. Mm. But on his, on his own accord, it wasn't uh, was the HRT that caused the- No, no, we weren't even there. We, we had been removed. In 86, you were inspector in charge of the Rand Contra investigation. Yes. So you probably dealt with Ollie North a little bit. Ollie and I are good friends now. Are you? I, I indicted Ollie. How is Ollie doing? <laughs> I love Ollie. Um, I didn't want to do that case. I was commanding the division of Washington, D.C., and I was asked to do it. And I said, no, no, no. I turned it down. And um, so my uh, now wife and I were uh, rock climbing in the Senator Park and a uh, team of uh, state troopers came and got me and said, you need to call your headquarters. <laughs> and so I went in and called and they said, well, you've got Iran Contra. No, I don't. They said, you've got about an hour to get to D.C. So my wife and I drove back to D.C. and I took that case. You know, we're watching a Netflix now and the guy, he's a pilot who flew a bunch of the arms oh, apparently. Yeah. Hey, Hagen Foose or something like that. Yeah. yeah, he's an Arkansas guy too, I think. Yeah. He was born and raised. So, yeah, well, um, you know, They were trying to do the right thing. They forgot we have a constitution. It was just a small thing. Yeah. And uh, I did, uh, we, I, I, we, I got the indictment on Ollie, then I left. And then uh, he, uh, we convicted Ollie. Mm-hmm. And then he beat us on, on appeal, which we knew he would. And uh, then he had started his radio show and he called my uh, publisher and said, do you think Danny would do my show? And they said, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> so Debbie and I flew back to, to uh, Virginia because it was shot in Virginia. And kind of like this, we sat there and we talked about how, you know, I wrongly prosecuted him. And I said, you beat me on technicality. And it was it was, it was was fun. I like yeah. Ollie. I've done his sh- When he had his uh, daytime show, I did it a lot of times. I, I'm a big fan of Ollie's. Uh, we were just on the wrong side of pretty important issues. Mm-hmm. Sir. The following year, in 1987, you were the tactical commander of in the Atlanta prison riots. Oh, yeah. Holy cow. I'm, this is from the, your, it's also in your book, No Heroes, mm-hmm. we'll talk about here in a second. But uh, please walk us through that a little bit if you can. Um, well, there was another um, riot, riot at Talladega. Uh, same groups, Cubans, and uh, who had been come here on that, that Marielito boat uh, lift thing. So I'm in my office, and the deputy director runs in and said, you got to go to Atlanta. I said, for what? Yeah. He said, you're going to command the riot. It's light and starting. He said, no, but you got into it. So I jumped on a plane and flew down there and took it over and uh, put together a team. We had The HRT was not there. That was kind of a bummer. But I had um, Border Patrol. They did a great job for me. 
Um, I had about 20-something FBI SWAT teams. We're all good. And so we put together a plan. We actually got in. Uh, we actually went into the prison during the riot. Um, we were right inside with them. Is uh, that a real fearful situation? Because you got a real small quarters. <laughs> you got guys' backs against the wall who they are ready to rumble, I would imagine. Well, yeah, it was a little bit tense. Um, um, I carried a submachine gun and a suppressed and night vision stuff. So we're in there with them. They came to see us. And uh, the purpose was we got to figure out how we can get in because I had to figure out a way to get into a place that they they purposely designed to keep people out, yeah, keep people in, yeah. And so we uh, we uh, did that. A guy named Leon Blady and I went in there and we figured out how to do it. And we actually, we took a big part of the prison back. They didn't even know it. We just surreptitiously moved in, and all of a sudden we're there. And they go, oh, "Shit!" Um, you got insiders in there helping you out too. No, uh, how did you get in, Danny? If you mind us um, talking about that. We have special tools that allows us to cut through really hard things. <laughs> and um, it's sort of like a acetylene, but it's not. And we just would go in. And then the, what we had to be careful of is we didn't leave a hole behind as they'd come out. Yeah. So it took a lot of court. And the Bureau of Prisons people were a fantastic. Yeah. I'm a big fan of those guards and things. And they were they were wonderful. And they helped. Some of them were with us. Um, so we actually, um, we pulled it off and... Um, we brought in a, a, a priest, a Catholic priest, to talk to him. And uh, he talked him out of it. Mm. So, I mean, I, there's a there's a video. Yeah, there's a video of um, them coming out. And it was like, there were 100 hostages in there. And oh, yeah. These guys had these amazing swords. They made swords out of bed frames. I still have one of them. Really? I can cut your head off with it. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. How many, any hostages lost? No, zero. Well, we got them all out. That's you incredible. talked about working with the local authorities there. Mm -hmm. What was the most tumultuous time local authorities? You can get as specific as you want, just the state or whatever. But I, I got to imagine you guys come in and, oh, and yeah. these guys are like, no, no, we've got, you know, like you always see. Can you talk about that? Well, I would like to not uh, be too specific. Okay, yeah. Um, the feds kind of have a reputation of uh, we give the press releases. There's a funny joke about, a competition. It kind of, I think it answers your question. Um, there's going to be a dog competition, ATF dog, uh, DEA dog, and FBI dog. And the ATF dog comes out and he runs around and he sniffs around and finds a gun. And so they give him a, they give him a, a, a biscuit. So he's laying there with a biscuit at his feet. Then a, a DEA dog comes in, he runs around, does his thing, and he finds, uh, he finds a dope and they put it, same thing, send it down. So the FBI dog comes in mounts both dogs, and then eats all the biscuits and gives a press release. And I love that story. Yes. And it kind of... Is it true? <laughs> no. I don't think so. We try not to be like that. But, yeah. Um, um, you know, I worked in New York City for many years with the NYPD, and we had a great relationship with them. They, they are the best, and I think we're really pretty good. And um, sometimes there's contention, but, you know, when it gets down to the level of, of the three of us working together, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what the... Because, no, it's uh, the people, right? Yeah, because we, you know, yeah. our lives depend on each other, and um, I have a lot of respect for the other federal agents. I think they're really good. My business partner for a long time was Secret Service agent, mm -hmm. and um, he he was a great agent. He was a great partner for me, and we went all over the world taking care of crazy people, and yeah, we lived through it. So I guess we did okay. Yeah, and as you as you moved to finally in one part of your career, you moved to Dallas at the FBI department, yes. the office there. 
you became the commander in the Oklahoma City bombing yes. investigation. I, I imagine you had some run-ins with Timothy McVeigh after the fact, or <laughs> no, I arrested him. Arrested him, but yeah. I heard, I saw that you, his his buddy became your 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 star witness. Against he did. Him. Yeah, that's an interesting story. I'd not seen my family in like thirteen months because I commanded the division in Maryland. So the director sent me down here, and of course the bombing occurred, and you know my wife had just flown in that night the night before to buy a house and bring two of my daughters with her. And um, we're having breakfast, and then we see on TV is an explosion in Oklahoma City. My wife went, really? I said, it's not my division. Mm-hmm. It's not mine. Cell phones exist at the time? Mm-hmm. I can't even remember. Okay. Not like that. We had cell phones, but they were like bag phones. Yeah. So um, I said, that's Bob Rick's territory. And then within 20 minutes, the phone the place called Sioc. That's where they command all the crisis for the world. They still do. And um, I was a pager, actually, and I called, and they said, director is sending you to. Do your so, wife look over at, uh, she knows, she she knows before that you beeper have goes no off. no idea what my wife has been through. Yeah. Um, first, this is kind of interesting. The first time we ever, she knew what I did. Uh, I'm sure she did not know what I did. And so we had a date on a Friday night, and we both had children. I had one, she had three. Mm-hmm. And so we were, we never got to be alone, hardly. And so I <laughs> I had to call her and say, I've got to go. I've got to go on a business trip, which is going to South America to snatch a guy. And she said, well, um, why don't I just get a pizza on Hippie Pack? Okay. So she comes to my house, and on the dining room table is an MP5 submachine gun, hand grenades, body armor, gas masks. And she says, are we going to war? I said, well, you're not going to go. <laughs> and, and then she said, this is classic. She said, do you have an iron? I said, I don't know. Why? She said, well, I'll iron your clothes. I said, Debbie, the people I'm going to go see are going to try to shoot me. They don't care if my pants are surprised. <laughs> and, uh, and she went, anyway, she, we got married anyway. And um, she, in spite of that, and she's been, we, you know, after McVeigh, um, we had a terrorist try to kill her family. They actually tried. And she, she went right through that. I mean, she's just wow. amazing woman. Yeah. And, um, very strong and very smart. I'm going to give some applause to that. <laughs> I have an applause button. That's a great story. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, Andy, what, what was what's your recollection on when you arrived on the scene in Oklahoma City? Oh, yeah. For those who are not quite that familiar. Um, I just did a tour of the Oklahoma City Bombing Museum. NBC mm-hmm. uh, did a, uh, a video with me and my wife touring it. Won an Emmy, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. So after this, I'm going to get your answer. Um, so the curator for the museum came to me and said, can we talk to you after? Of course. So he said, when you walked into that place and you saw that, Last sight, were you overwhelmed? I said, no, no, no. That's what we do. They don't pay us to be overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. They pay us to get it done. Yeah. Um, I went into the command post, met with Bob Ricks, who was on scene commander, and we divided up the pie. I took I took the bomb, the bomb blast, and he took the rest of it. And um, I'll tell you, when, there, there's a lot of energy there. Mm-hmm. The energy of the people who were suffering, the energy of the cops, the energy of the FBI agents and the press is all over the place. So I, 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 I got my raincoat and I went, I walked over to the blast site of the building from our command post, which is two blocks away, I think. And it was like a thousand bumblebees. It was like, mm-hmm. and I thought we got a lot to do here. And uh, that was my thought. That was my thought process. And so I called for my deputy here in, um, in Dallas to come join me. Cause I knew I was going to be busy. And uh, we, we started, and, you know, the agents solved the case. Um, commanders don't very much do a lot to keep people out of your hair. 
I was walking through the command post <clears throat> that next night, and an agent who I did not know walked up and said, Boss, why are you so calm? I said, I'm not doing anything. You're going to solve this case. I'm not going to solve it. And they did. The agents did an amazing mm-hmm. job. And I had, I had McMahon helicopter two days later, and he went to meet his fate. Was how, that how, the, was, how was he with you, if you mind us asking? Very deferential to me. Very deferential. A- answering um, questions or standing Oh, up? no. Oh, no. He wasn't that deferential. Right. Um, we, uh, he was in, he'd been arrested by a state trooper named Charles Hanger for not having a license plate. Right. And um, he was in jail in Perry. So we, we flew up in an HRT helicopter, and um, we dropped off agents and ATF at the site of the car. And then I jumped, and then they put me in a police car and they took me right to uh, Perry. And when we get there, an elderly guy, elderly, he's playing my age now, he came up and he said, uh, are you boys from the FBI? We said, yeah. He said, if you have any problem with the evidence, put that boy out the gate, we'll take care of him. I said, we got this. We're okay. So then we approached McVeigh and uh, he, uh, he said, the agent said, do you know why we're here? He said, it's about Oklahoma City. He said, yeah. You want to talk? No, he didn't. So, um, I mean, cut the chase. We put him in because I got. The, I didn't have a car. <laughs> yeah. I came in a helicopter. Yeah. So um, we used the sheriff's wife's minivan to put the most wanted man in America in the backseat of a minivan. And we set him in there. We we took him out to the helicopter pad, and then um, he starts to get out, and I grabbed him. I set him down. I said, "Tim, behave, because if you don't, I'm going to hurt you." He said, "Yes, sir. I got it." And then um, we took off and. Uh, the, one of the one of the agents with him is is a bomb technician. He will disarm a nuclear bomb. Mm-hmm. He's got more courage than me, certainly, not that much. But he uh, he was very nervous. So I asked my deputy, "Why is he so nervous?" He said, "Well, he's afraid of helicopter rides." I said, "He'll disarm a nuclear bomb and <laughs> we don't get in the helicopter." <laughs> so the pilot comes to me. He was one of my tent pilots, and he said, "Boss, we can go, but there's no doors." I said, okay, we'll go. <laughs> and so. The guy, the agent was Dave Williams. He was terrified. And so I went over and I put my arm around his shoulder. I said, don't worry about half of helicopter rides in without a crash. <laughs> he said, well, that helps. <laughs> so we take off with McVeigh and we're, uh, the, the way you avoid being interdicted in a helicopter is fly very low, not to mm-hmm. go high, but very low because you, you can't track him. So we're, um, the, pilot, the pilot, again, he, he, he took me a lot of missions on the team He's climbing like crazy. He says, no, no, put this thing on the ground. We didn't, I don't think we got seven feet above the ground all the way. Yeah. So this poor agent's you know, having a heart attack. He's looking at me and giving me the bird, and he's really <laughs> mad at me. Mm-hmm. But we, we, we got him there, and, and uh, you know, that's just history. They convicted him. Was that the heaviest thing you'd rolled up on to that time, in that point in time, magnitude-wise, just a I, humanity I, kind of deal? Well, yeah, I think it probably was, I guess. Um it wasn't the hardest thing I've done. It was he was an idiot. He was not that hard to catch. I think the Black Liberation Army guys were a lot tougher mm-hmm. and more difficult to find. Um, Atlanta prison route was pretty difficult. Uh, Rand Contra was difficult because I'm living with lawyers and working with lawyers. Yeah, and fight with them. So I, it's hard to say. Uh, yeah. Was did it, t- do, we, do we do you know why Timothy did that terrible thing? Did they did that ever come out? What, oh yeah, I know exactly why he did it. Um, that was the second plot to blow up the Murrow Building. A group called the Covenant Sword Norm of the Lord, CSA, had planned to blow it up 10 years earlier. And the HRT took them all down before they could do it. So he was trying to fulfill their wish and take that thing down. Wow. 
I think the answer to your question, as far as heaviness, it was probably one of the other things he was part of was the Branch Davidian uh, is, issue down in Waco, Texas, which I've I've heard you speak to this, and you were you were you were critical a little bit, or maybe I'm, that's the wrong word, but you definitely thought there were mistakes made. I think I'm speaking right. No, no, I wasn't there. They didn't deploy me to that thing. I was the deputy at the time, and they, uh, very frankly, they the three of us could have arrested me. Um, David Koresh. David Koresh. I'm sorry. It's okay. We got arrested him. He's a pussy. And, uh, you know, he's bitch slapping him, throwing the car and you're done. Yeah. But ATF wanted to do a big Cecil B. DeMille raid. And mm-hmm. they got, they're lucky they weren't all killed. And I had friends in that raiding party. Um, these are brave guys. And they did a good job there for given the mission they were in. They were given a suicide mission, which almost turned into that. So, I, you know, I, I think it was awful the way their, their hires set that arrest up. I, that's what I do for a living is set up raids and things or did. And I think they just did a terrible job and I feel badly for those agencies. Yes, sir. One of the other things you do, aside from some of these incredible things we were talking about, you handle security for some of the most high profile, you have handled security and you still do for some of those high profile athletes in the country. Uh, Tiger Woods specifically, we talked about this before the show. Uh, you were telling us a little about how that works, but a guy like that who's so high profile, oh, yeah. he needs people like you to keep keep the dangers at bay. Could you describe how a guy like Tiger exists on the tour with that, with your help? Um, well, first of all, Tiger is very headstrong. So Tiger doesn't always cooperate to the fullest. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he's, uh, if, if you've seen him play and I've seen him play many, many times, he, he is about this most strongly focused person I've ever seen in my entire life. And I've seen some pretty awesome people. And so he thinks he's bulletproof. Yeah. And uh, it took us a long time to convince them these people will hurt you, mm-hmm. not purposefully, but you get 10,000 people pushing on a fence and you're behind that fence. Uh, that fence can come over and you get hurt. And so finally, after we, uh, we were with him for quite a while, uh, and his dad just come talk to me. Danny, is that boy listening to you? I said, no, is he listening to you? He doesn't listen to anybody. Yeah. But we finally, I think, convinced him that, that you know, we were there for him and, and, um, it worked out. I mean, we kept him out of trouble. Um, I did not teach him how to drive a car. I will tell you that. <laughs> but um, I have a great deal of admiration for all the PGA Tour players. They, that was a dream job. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, to work with those guys, I got to do Nicholas Security and Torino and right down to Jordan Spieth and Ricky Fowler. And they're really, really good people. You would you would love to sit down. And they'd, they'd wear you out asking questions about what you do. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. They wore me out. Yeah. Good Lord. Oh, well, you got a pretty interesting I'd background. Say so, yeah. yeah. How many guys would you need for a guy like Tiger or Jordan on when he's playing um, typically? At a tournament, we'd have about 100. Um, not that many would be with him, but quite a few would be. Uh, it would be me, my partner, and a team of people we've especially selected to be with him wherever he goes. And uh, even family, we take care of the family too. A lot of guys that look like you know random fans standing around aren't actually fans. They're there for for a re- oh for yeah a reason. undercover cops. Uh, a lot of those, and right. and um, they stopped a lot of stuff. I mean, there are a lot of things that happened out there nobody knows about. Yeah, nobody will ever know about. Yeah, and that's, one, that's, one of the things he did also while all this is happening in '97, he wrote a book. It's a mama. It's a mama jamma book. It's a big boy. No heroes inside the FBI's secret counterterrorism force. I've read, I'll read a little bit offline. I ordered the book and it didn't show up in time for the show. We wanted to have it here on the desk, but uh, that's a, that's a, a feat in itself. Holy cow! Uh, that was not that was not easy. Um, my wife convinced me to write that book, and uh, she said, "You need to write for your kids. Your kids don't know who you are. They have no idea." 
And so uh, Elaine Shanna from Time Magazine and I were good friends, and she called me and said, what are you going to do? And I said, um, I want to write a book. So I want to do it with you. So we did it together. She'd written uh, the Kiki Camarena story. Oh, She's yeah. She's quite an author. Yeah. And she did a lot of Michael Mann stuff. And uh, good. I was not a good, I was a, I was a good writer, but I wasn't a, a writer that would write something that I would read. Yeah. I mean, I was writing reports and things. And um, so we, we put it together and we did really well with it. And I think they made four movies about it. Wow. That, so that's true. It says that, or it's at least I've read that in the 2008 movie Iron Man, use your use the character Agent Phil Coulson is is as that's me. That's you. That's it's, crazy. They used a guy after you in the movie. Well, um, Hawk Oatesby is the writer for Marvel. Right. He called me one day and said, uh, "Danny, you don't know me, but I know you." I said, "Okay, but know you money." And so he said, um, "So I've read your book. I keep your book on my desk." when I write dialogue, I love your dialogue. And so we at Marvel decided to make the, the character agent Colson, you said, well, do I get a check? No, I didn't get a check or anything like yeah, that. Geez. But my, my kids used to ask, I mean, my wife's students used to ask her, is agent Colson your husband? She said, As a matter of fact, he is. <laughs> That's great. It's, it's kind of a cool, you story. know, I'm sorry. I didn't, read the book and but it's i did excuse me it's got big words okay well that's a big reason me. why i don't <laughs> venture into these uncharted territories you can call me. I'll help you um but i wanted to ask you when you lay in bed at night i mean you've done all this stuff i mean what comes to mind you're trying to get get the peace with this world and all of this and is there something that pops up or or you're no. good you, you're, no i i have a very unique ability i can go to sleep anywhere anytime we used to go on missions in the jungle <laughs> And we'd get to the objective, and it's pretty tense. I mean, they're going to shoot yeah. you. And um, let's say, for instance, that we can't launch at 9 o'clock. We have to wait till 10. So we're laying in the jungle with all the tension and things. And I go to sleep. Seriously? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I tell the XO, you got it. Wake me up when it's time to go. I think that's why you're in such great shape at the age you're <laughs> at. I mean, it's got to be. Yeah. I don't know. But, I, but anyway, he, he, you know, we'd, we'd lay there, and we'd get a word. Yeah, the other, the other targets are being hit. Let's go. So he tapped me and said, stand by, I have control. And I do the countdown. We'd go launch and go to our thing. I, wow. I can sleep any place. Uh, That's good. I think it's because I'm not very smart. So my mind just you know, goes to sleep immediately. And, well, yeah. and we're trying to get to the end of this thing. It's so hard because there's so much there. You protected Bill Clinton, both Bush presidents, Trump as a civilian, Juan Mel Santos of Columbia, the yep. uh, vice president, he was pres president, president yeah. at that time. Uh you do a lot of stuff with the terror with terrorists. You have done a lot of stuff with terrorists, and I had two questions of two different groups because I'm not really that familiar, but I've heard the name a hundred times. But Boko Haram, who are these guys? And then Antifa. Oh, Everybody, I've done them. Everybody's heard these guys. Who are these guys? I did the security for the president of Nigeria. Matter of fact, I'm going to go back. Uh, good luck, Jonathan. Um, Nigeria is an interesting company. The country, the southern half is Christian, the northern half is Muslim. Boko Haram is a terrorist organization. And I tried to help their country address those guys. And I don't think we we're very successful. Um, yeah, they're pretty heavy-handed over there. Mm -hmm. And I think that really hurts them because they don't get cooperation from anybody. So, yeah, um, I'm going to go back. They've called me to come back. And good luck's going to come back and be the president again. So I'll go back. Nice. And then Antifa, please explain to us who don't really understand what's going on there and how you're involved. Well, I'm... Only with regard to protecting people from Antifa. Antifa. Antifa, I think, is should be investigated as a terrorist group, and the Department of Justice, at least this one, is not going to do it. Um, 
they uh, anti anti fascists is basically what it is, but they're not. They're they're provocateurs, and the the rioting you saw in Oregon and Seattle and all this stuff that was all Antifa. Mm. And instead of um, opening cases on them, we let them go. Uh, I used to command the FBI division in Oregon. I did it for about four years, and um, Oregon's a very permissive state. It's ridiculous. My son's a policeman there, and he's leaving. He's, he's a canine officer. Yes, correct? he is. And he has a he and his dog Atlas patrol that part of our world. Which and, dog was that in the dog analogy you gave about the ATF, <laughs> FBI? And the, which oh, one that'd be, that? oh, he'd get the press release <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So that's that's what it's all about. Um, I, I can, if we have a couple seconds. Sure. Yes. We have we have time to finish whatever. For sure. Okay. Bad times are coming to our country. We've defunded the police. Nobody wants to be cops. The people that want to be cops shouldn't be cops. Um, I think that in the next period of time we have this president that we're going to see Critical food shortages, critical gasoline shortages, infrastructure is going to go in the toilet, and we all need to be careful. Mm -hmm. um, I have briefings with my family all the time about be careful. Uh, we even have food. I'm not a crazy survivalist, but I tell everybody I know have plenty of food, have plenty of water, and mm -hmm. you know if you're so inclined, have yourself a weapon and be ready. Be careful at the gas station. Be careful when you go shopping, because it's beginning. You think the I was one of my questions at the end is do you think all the work you've done that every people like you have done the world's still getting more dangerous? Oh no, no doubt, clearly because the world loved the FBI. Uh, the FBI is not very loved, beloved right now because they think they've had some things they've done that because of their directors and thing. Jim Comey hurt us big time. Um, well, by not prosecuting Hillary, um, I think we've lost credibility and we got to figure out how to get that back. You've given a lot of lectures at universities, TCU included. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you enjoy the lecture series? I do a lot, yeah. I, I, I like it if they'll disagree. Mm -hmm. I like it if there's dialogue. I don't I don't want to go in there and say this is how we do it. I want to know what you think about how we do it. Yeah. What do you attribute that danger, that rising danger to? Anarchy, Marxist. Mm. I don't believe that people that claim to be progressive, progressives, are. I think they're Marxist. And I think you see... You see what they're doing to our society. We're, we're destroying our education system. We are uh, subjecting children to things they should not be subjected to. I think it's all an effort to destroy our our culture. You think it's happening from within or it's coming from outside sources? I think it's within. Kind of I think it's right here. I think it's Soros, people like that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's from within. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't understand people who can become Marxist because it doesn't work. You go wherever you want to go, and you just go to go to South America and see where it's not working there. Mm -hmm. And um, it's it's a shame. I also think and I know this is this is not the kind of program maybe we're going to talk about this. I think it has to do with faith. I think we denigrate people of faith. No, I don't. I mean, I'm a very faithful person. Mm -hmm. um, I think we are getting away from from what the Bible teaches us and what we should be doing, and the idea that we got to take care of each other. I think that's kind of passing by. Uh, not my not in my circle, but a lot. These mar these Marxist types, Danny. You said they're they've lost faith. They what what is their aim? What is their goal to disrupt? What are they trying? I think to they do? want to implement a uh, Marxist society here, where the government controls everything. Okay. I mean, look at what's going on right now. Now we have a a uh, a czar in Department of Homeland Security that's going to decide if, if uh, free speech is okay. Right. That just came out yesterday. Are you kidding me? Have you not read the Constitution? I think they probably answered that. They probably have not. But um, 
I think that's what it is. They, they want to take, they want to control. Marxism is about control. It's not about benevolence. It's about control of people. You think it's, we're getting more further. It's always been kind of fascinating to me, more further technologically advanced. We've got so much things that technology can do, but we're getting more primitive in the treating of each other. I mean, it's just. That's it's, a great way to put it. I've never heard it uh, mentioned like, I think that's a perfect analogy. Technology is high. Compassion is very low. And um, I do a lot of work with, with uh, schools who have texting texting issues, their kids who are bullying people. Mm-hmm. And you're a lot more willing to bully somebody on text than you are face-to-face. You're a lot more willing to take somebody's money for unlawful reasons oh, yes. on text than face-to-face oh, or over the, oh, yeah. you know. With all the great, I mean, really interesting and wonderful things you've done for people, saving people, saving lives, is there something in your life that you're, it's a disappointment or a failure in your mind? Um, that's a great question. Um, I don't know. I think I gave it my all. Um, I did a, was, we were going to do a TV series once with, uh, Mark Wahlberg, as a matter of fact. And he asked me, um, how do you want to be remembered? Said nobody, somebody that never gave up. Just yeah. Quit. And, um, I got a great family. I've been many blessings. I've got great kids, got great grandchildren. And, um, I have a lot of good friends. I'm, I'm very blessed. And I, First of all, in my life, I didn't expect to live this long, number one. Number two, I didn't expect to be this successful. I'm very successful. Um, they pay us stupid amounts of money to do stupid things. And um, I'm grateful for that because I can now pass them on to my church and my kids and my grandchildren. So yeah. I'm pretty blessed. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's very awesome. Okay, so we always end the show on the uh, no family. Like, that's a fast rule because be, everybody answers with family. Best day of your life. Family side. Oh, my son was born. That's family. No. We have to discount that answer. Oh, sorry. We okay. I need adult supervision. Yeah, I married my wife. That's, but that's family too. Yeah, that's family well, she too. wasn't family when I married it's her. A, it's an intentionally hard question, yeah. Danny. It's so. very hard. Um, Sir, you were an FBI agent. Mm-hmm. We got to get this right. Okay. Um, I think the day we walked 100 hostages out of the Atlanta prison. Mm. Oh, wow. There you go. That's a good one. Yeah. What's the yeah. craziest uh, undercover story, real quick, before we go, that you've been part of? You've been oh. through some sewers. <laughs> you've been through some uh, prisons. You've done some lot of wild stuff. What's the craziest one in your mind? Um, I think the shootout with Twyman Myers and and the subsequent fight. Um, I, I initiated the case on him, got the warrant for him, and the last association I had is when I put him in a drawer and slammed him shut in the morgue. That was crazy. Indeed. Danny Coulson, thank you for being here, sir. We I mean, really what appreciate it. Yes. Thank you, Captex Bank. We appreciate you as well. Thank you for being on the show, my friend. Thank you, awesome Danny. Stuff. Roxo Media House.